As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, welcome to Full Time with Meg Linhan. You are listening to a podcast all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Meg, your host. I'm a staff writer at The Athletic, covering the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. Thank you for being patient with this episode dropping on Friday instead of our usual Thursday release. And of course, this is because the U.S. Women's National Team won the sixth version of the She Blues Cup on Wednesday night. And this is the first time the national team has actually won that title in back-to-back years. Brazil finished second, Canada third, and Argentina fourth. And on today's show, Julia Poe of the Orlando Sentinel is here to discuss the tournament, which is especially great as she was one of only a few reporters actually at Exploria Stadium for all of the games. And of course, before we get to our news recap this episode, a quick reminder, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month and also show your support for the coverage of women's sports and women's soccer by visiting theathletic.com slash full time. So let's get to the news. So back on February 18th, Angel City FC announced that DoorDash is a new sponsor for the team as their front of kit sponsor. Now here's the other major tidbit about that from their release. It said that Angel City's uh, kits would be revealed in summer 2021, along with the team's colors and crest, plus of course, all of the merch that's very obligatory for the team from Los Angeles, but that is kind of the first timing that we have seen in terms of when we can expect the full look for Angel City. All right, more in kit news. The Thorns added TikTok as a sleeve sponsor, which also goes for the Timbers as well. First of all, this is the thing that actually finally got me to sign up for TikTok because in that release was the news that Crystal Dunn will be a creator and influencer on the platform for the team. And yeah, sign me up. Um, I'm ready for the chicken TikToks, honestly. Uh, Also notable on this one, Portland will be wearing the same kits in 2021 as they did for the Challenge Cup and Fall Series. So you can feel comfortable putting in those orders now, though I will say, uh, based on Twitter, they are having trouble keeping Crystal Dunn name sets in stock, which 
you know, good and bad thing, I guess. Uh, a few signing notes around the NWSL. Goalkeeper Karen Bardsley will join OL Reign on loan from Manchester City until June, but the team has also already lined up another goalkeeper to step in upon her departure. It feels somewhat safe to read between the lines and think that this will be Lyon's Sarah Buhati, but here's Reign head coach Fareed Benstidi from the release, quote, and now we add Karen, who will be ready to play immediately. We have another keeper already signed that will join mid-season, and when Karen departs in June, we will have another top player to replace her. It is complicated, but very good. It is complicated. All right, but notably, Barnsley does not use an international slot because she is a U.S. citizen. The Courage signed Welsh defensive midfielder Angharad James to a two-year contact uh, contract, though her start date with the club has yet to be announced, though apparently it has already been agreed upon by the Courage and Reading of the Women's Super League. Uh, Jess Fishlock, also very, very Welsh, very happy on Twitter about this news. Also, the Orlando Pride have signed Crystal Thomas to a one-year contract, which is a great pickup, in my opinion, after she was waived by the Spirit and then ended up in preseason camp in Orlando. Also this week, Portland finally announced the signings of midfielders Lindsey Horan and Crystal Dunn. Side note, it does feel very fun to use the word midfielder in front of Crystal Dunn's name. Uh, Two three-year contracts. When involving allocation money. Now, Jeff Kasuv of Equalizer Soccer had originally reported the Haran signing using allocation money, and then last month in January, I reported Crystal Dunn would also be making that same decision to relinquish her NWSL allocation status from U.S. Soccer. I will clarify this again later in the episode. Allocation status, not the same thing as allocation money. Yes, it is confusing. I know. Uh, one programming note, just to keep an eye out on Friday, Saturday, U.S. Soccer Annual General Meeting takes place this week with the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors meeting on Friday, followed by the National Council meeting on Saturday. I don't expect anything truly major uh, in terms of updates on the U.S. Women's National Team to come out of either of these meetings, but if they do, I will let you know. Okay, so a decent amount of stuff happening this week, but as I told you at the top of the show, the Orlando Sentinels Julia Poe is here from Orlando to talk all things She Believes Cup, plus, of course, some NWSL preseason updates from the Pride. Julia, let's start with what it's actually like to be in Exploria Stadium with there are fans in the stadium. But what is the it's not like our usual She Believes Cup, right, with sold out attendance and all that. Like we are still, as the Internet would say, we are still in a panini. Right. So what is what is the vibe like there in Orlando for She Believes Cup? Yeah, it's it's definitely different. Um, it's something that I've gotten used to just because there's been so many games cycling through Orlando. Um, it's been, you know, there were fans allowed for Orlando City games last year. So I'm kind of used to it, but it is a weird thing because now what I consider to be like a loud cheer is not actually a loud <laughs> cheer in reality. Um, you know, but it, it's it was a little stressful at first. It still kind of is, honestly. Um you always worry about fan safety and I know so many supporters that I just want them to be like careful. And I know that people are flying in, but um, you know, besides that it, it's kind of, I don't want to use the like hackneyed new normal phrase, but mm-hmm. it has definitely become more of kind of just a regular feeling at, at this point. Right. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, we're also still operating in this world where all of our media access, right. Is via zoom. Even if you're in the stadium, that means you can, watch the game in person, that does not mean that you are actually really talking to anyone in person. Like, 
Are there U.S. soccer staff that you can see? Or are you just like kind of in your own little bubble wherever they actually are sitting you? Yeah, it's it's a little different. I mean, we it, it's pretty open at Orlando City just Stadium just in terms of, um, you know, I, I'm still able to see some of the folks that I work with, but definitely not as many. And it's definitely not one of those things where, you know, like a Stephen Goff flew in for the games and he was in his own press box to the side. And it was one of those things where, you know, you see um, you see colleagues that you haven't seen in a year. You see uh, people that normally you'd like to go, you know, uh, chat with them for a moment, get a little FaceTime in with them. And you're doing the opposite. You're like running in the opposite <laughs> direction being like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, infect you or something like that. So mm-hmm. that part of it is very strange. And I mean, I'm sure you know this as well, but it's just weird not being able to see the players and the coaches um, when you're in those availabilities, especially a lot of teams don't do the two-way things. So there are players who I have not seen face-to-face for like a year now. Um, And there's rookies on the pride who I have not met and they've been playing here for a year now, players that have been here for a while. So that, that part of it is uh, still kind of unfortunate and frustrating, but we know it's what's necessary uh, to keep everyone safe, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like Alex Morgan, right. At her media availability last night, (laughs) sat down and she's like, I'm just looking at myself right now. Like even when we're talking on zoom, right. And we can all see each other but the players can't see us. So it is this kind of very strange setup of like, because it's funny, like, you know, Sandra Herrera and I will joke, be like, oh, I'm just going to show up on the Zoom so that way I can like see your face in the sea of like Zoom attendees or whatever. But yeah, it is a, a very strange vibe. And then like the other really weird thing too is there are fans in the crowd, but when like I'm watching at home, they have superimposed ads on top of the actual seating areas, but I know that there are people in there. It is the weird, like, it is just like Blade Runner gone terribly wrong where it's just like, you know, or someone will sky a ball and then like, you can see, yeah, yeah, it just, (laughs) it's just like, this is the weirdest, weirdest time. And sometimes you just kind of also just have to look at it and go, that's weird, and then move along before it hurts your brain too much. Yep, that that's basically <laughs> what it is at this point. You, the first time that I saw it, I was like, well, that's really weird. And now I look at it, I'm like, yep, that's that's <laughs> just how that works now. We're advertising over fans at this point. It's very strange. It, yeah, it's just – and, like, you know, I think that we've talked about this from, like, a media point of view, right? But, like, how do you take what works, right, from this time of the fact that, you know, some of the Zoom access means a lot more people are – on these things right but maybe the the magic of like one-on-one interviews is being lost but also you are able to be accessible to a whole new thing but at the same time it's just kind of like wow i really sure hope that we do not continue the trend of putting like superimposed ads on top of fans (laughs) in stadiums on bracket like there are a few things where i'm like that can go away as soon as possible please please like next week if they would like to just yeah (laughs) All right, so let's let's actually start to talk about these four teams in She Believes Cup. I want to start with Argentina, um, which I feel like with Argentina, you know, I think everybody kind of went in to this tournament with kind of open eyes of like they're in a very similar situation to Colombia. The Federation has historically not invested in them. They have not played together at all. They also picked up a huge injury mid-tournament with uh, Lorena Benitez, going down injured um, in terms of maybe what you could see in person in terms of maybe some of that team interaction, right. That maybe doesn't come through uh, from the studio with the camera access. 
you know, did you feel like maybe there are some takeaways in terms of how they were holding their heads after these games? Definitely. I think one of the things, at least in my experience, that doesn't necessarily translate from seeing it live versus seeing it on television is sometimes the exhaustion. Um, And I don't mean that in a bad way. That was just a very grueling tournament to go into. And I don't know how many of us kind of realized it until we got up, you know, to the week of the tournament, we're looking at it and it's like, this is three games against three top 10 competitors in seven days. I mean, even just in a normal tournament cycle, that would be a, a big ask for a team. And when you look at how much time they had off, they came out swinging. They were playing really well that first game. Um, I think that kind of happened to Canada as well. Um, happened to all three teams where I think their first games were really uh, kind of their strongest because I think that a lot of them just used a lot of the gas that they had in the tank in that first one. And especially when you're in a situation where you're having stars get injured, we saw so many Argentinian players go down or need assistance, need hydration. Um, I, I really do think that a lot of that physical wear and tear took its toll, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that we were able to see a lot of promise in these teams. And once they're able to get their legs under them, especially as hopefully we're starting to come out of the pandemic and we're starting to get vaccines distributed. And that will mean that more games happen. I do think that we're going to see some of these teams be able to take that tournament and turn it into strides as they're getting ready for all of the different competitions this summer. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the challenge, right, with Argentina and some of these other national teams is like, we can say like, okay, maybe there are takeaways, but also we have no idea what comes next for a lot of these national teams because they're not necessarily regularly scheduling games or or things like that. So like there is a lot of stuff, I think, in the works on the club side for Argentina women's soccer, but from a national team perspective, it's kind of like, okay. Like, great, like, you got competition, right, against three top teams, exactly as you're saying. But then the question is, how do you build off of that if you don't know when the next game coming is? And I think that is kind of always a challenge of how do we keep kind of the pressure, right, from an international Mm -hmm. point of view on some of these federations to continue to actually get their teams games that that mean something. Definitely, definitely. Because I think that that's – I was talking to uh, someone kind of on the men's side of the ball earlier today – who was asking why the Americans have stayed so dominant through the pandemic. And I feel like that's reason number one. They just, they're getting opportunities to play, whether that means that individual players are able to prioritize themselves and go abroad to get minutes in, or whether that just means, you know, packing the team up and going to the Netherlands for one match. I mean, so many federations can't or won't do something like that. And that sometimes that basic investment of just being like, we have to play games 
that's the difference for a lot of these teams on the women's side. And it's hard because it, I think it can make the margin look a lot bigger than it is. I don't think that that Argentina, their last game against the U.S., I don't think that was a fair reflection of what that team can do. But if you're not getting those women onto the pitch regularly, getting them into the gym regularly, they're not going to be in a situation where they can go out and in their third game in a week, you know, really stand up to the U.S. the way that they could in, in just in better circumstances with the team they have right now. Yeah, I was talking, so I, I'm, I've been trying to figure out kind of what the most productive angle is on Argentina to like, how do you keep this conversation going, right? And so I was talking to uh, Tony from NWSL Analytica, who is from Argentina, right? And who I think has a really good perspective on them. And, you know, one of the big things is, okay, maybe these players get scouted, right? Like they do have players abroad in Europe, but also, you know, end of cell coaches are obviously watching this tournament. Is there someone that they they see that they like? So that also provides that opportunity. But also, you know, just in terms of when you think about, okay, as you're saying, the difference between the U.S. and a lot of other teams, right, between U.S. and Argentina is huge. But can you close that gap between Argentina and Brazil? Right. Can you Can you get Argentina from, you know, like in the 30s, where they are for FIFA rankings, into the 20s? Right. What does that look like? And how much investment does that take? Because honestly, like getting them even 10 spots higher is probably not that huge of an investment compared to like U.S. shouldn't necessarily be the goal right now. It's how do we keep up with Brazil? How do we keep up with Chile? Like, how do we how do we keep ourselves kind of relevant within South America? Um, And so I think that's kind of the more. I don't want to say productive, but like the more kind of realistic question, I think, for a lot, you know, we talk about the same thing in CONCACAF all the time during CONCACAF qualifiers is the goal shouldn't necessarily be the U.S. It's how do you compete with Canada and Mexico? So speaking of Canada, (laughs) uh, Canada had such a good, strong performance. I think we all watched that USA-Canada game and we're like, Canada, all right. And then things kind of fell apart. (laughs) Yeah. Um, do Do you have a take on maybe what happened, whether it's just kind of like, they play USA better than they do other teams. That seems to be kind of a popular theory that Canada just has something special for against the U.S. But um, if it was just kind of, again, like tournament format, catching up to them, new head coach, obviously, was there something kind of in your mind where you could see something happening from game to game to game? I think it's kind of a combination of a few things you brought up there. First, again, going back to just, I mean, there's only so much gas in the tank, especially when you have that many of your experienced players out. I think that part of what you lose when you lose players with experience, because, you know, we see some of these youngsters like Jordan Listro, who plays for the pride here. um, They have a lot of potential. They have the ability to make that move and make that jump up, but they don't have the savvy of playing in a lot of tournaments. And when you look at even a lot of the Brazilians, they've that group had played tournaments together before and they had that. So when you combine that with a new coach, who has not taken that team through a tournament before because the prep and the way that you get ready for everything, it's really easy, I think, to over-prep for your opening game. And especially when your opening game is against the United States, like, I mean, that, that's, that's the game. That's the one that you're circling. Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, something that a lot of people talk about in a lot of different sports is almost like a trap game. And I think that that was what we saw with them starting with the U.S., ending with Brazil, and then having Argentina in the middle. And I do feel like that was a little bit of a trap game for them just in terms of they had 
so much momentum coming into the U.S. game and then so little time to turn around and get ready for Argentina. It just it fell into that position where I personally was not surprised to see them struggle, especially since Argentina was carrying a lot of momentum because I thought that personally that they played Brazil very well in that Mm -hmm. opener. And I think that they had a lot of reasons to come into that ready to just, you know, hit him in the mouth. Like that's that's the one that Argentina is circling, right? Exactly. Like if if we're going to catch a team unaware, we know Brazil, right? Like we know exactly what we're getting from them. We know what the what the United States is capable of. Canada is kind of like our target game of this is the team that we can probably surprise. Exactly. Like I if I was a Canadian fan, I would have been circling and underlining that game as like textbook trap. You're, you know, th- this could really be a problem. And then Argentina also is just I mean, they're they're feisty. Like they they had a lot that they were able to challenge, especially in that midfield with. And I think that sometimes not having that experience um, on the pitch with them, it just was hard to keep up with, you know. So yeah. it, it just was um, it was definitely a, a challenge for them and a good sign for Argentina. They've got that in them and they can build a lot off that game specifically, I think. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, I think the the games that people were super familiar with for Argentina were the World Cup group stage from 2019 and what they did against Japan, what they did against Scotland. Right. And so like, I think people know, okay, yes, you're missing a couple of players that have been kind of ousted, but also like this team fundamentally is capable of finding results and finding kind of big time performances. And so Canada, yeah, I think probably could have looked at that game and gone, okay, we've got to figure out how do we, how do we do the kind of emotional high of the game against the United States and then make sure we don't dip for the second one. I, I do want to talk to you about Canada, I think, is a team that loves a motto. Um, I think Canada is kind of up there for me mentally with like North Carolina courage in terms of like, we love a theme. Yeah. <laughs> every every game or season or whatever is a theme party. And the theme right now for Canada is brave. Mm-hmm. I think I heard the word brave in every single media thing for Canada for two weeks. Yeah. Um, first of all, how do you feel about the word brave now after hearing it so many times? But do you think that I I just like I I talked about this with Ali Wagner even before the start of the tournament where that concept of brave has never been one where I'm like, this is actually Canada's problem. Right, right. (laughs) I mean, so first off, just with themes in general, I mean, I I love teams having themes. I think it's really important. Um a lot of times, especially when you've got a new coach coming in, trying to like unify that culture and create that totally get that. I hate what it does to press conferences um, because uh, you know, whenever a player or coach gets that kind of earworm, they'll just keep going with it. And um, you know, anyone who's covered a coach on a beat before it's like, they have their phrases and it gets to a point by the end of the season where you're like, Oh my God. Um, But you know, that's, that's just part of, of covering sports in terms of though, like whether that's their problem, I agree. I've never felt like Canada was not a particularly brave team. Uh, I don't look at some of their stars, whether that's, you know, Sinclair, obviously, but even, you know, like Michelle Prince and some of those players, I don't see those as being players who aren't, are lacking anything in the bravery department. So um, I, I don't know, but I get I get what the purpose of it is. I get that it's supposed to be unifying, you know, so I, I do understand right. that part of it. All right. So Canada, I think also to be to be fair to Canada, it is not extremely easy to 
put this like as much as the U.S. has some injuries, right, that are going to affect roster decisions. Canada was in a class all of its own in this tournament in terms of missing players who couldn't make the trip over from France, plus injuries like Canada is just kind of like kind of in this holding pattern, I think, where we kind of have to put a pin in them and say, we will check back in with you once you have some more friendlies and people are are actually there, and maybe then we will get a sense of how worried should you actually be ahead of the Olympics. Exactly, exactly. I thought this tournament was a really good assessment period for individuals, um, and there were a lot of individual performances that I thought were interesting and a few that were you know, very exciting. Also, just for the NWSL, there were a lot of... Um, really positive NWSL performances that we saw, but it's just hard to judge a group when, you know, a third of the group isn't there. So it, yeah. it was, it was a tough one for sure. Yeah. I think speaking of NWSL players on Canada, like we have not really heard an update on Kaylin Sheridan, but like for me, a person who is like watching to see how many minutes Kaylin Sheridan would get, because I, I do kind of firmly believe that she should be the number one goalkeeper for Canada. And then to immediately have her have to leave the game due to an injury. And I was just like, but I'm sure also the folks at Sky Blue were just watching that and going, no. Exactly. exactly. That I feel like that was the feeling for a lot of, there were a lot of times where players went down where there was just kind of that sense of dread because we're finally getting games back. We're finally going to have, you know, just a chance to see these players play domestically. And it's like, no, we need to preserve <laughs> that. I, I want to I see all these teams at their like full strength this season. Right, right. All right, let's move on to Brazil as we were the two who I think were really leading the way in Americans asking questions about Brazil on every single press conference, which really delighted me. It was just like, I had my Dabinia question, you had your Marta question, we were covered. So I want to talk about both of them, but I do want to start with Marta for a lot of obvious reasons. But, you know, I think that to me, everybody was kind of watching Brazil and going, okay, what has Pia's stamp on this team been? She talked a lot in the press conferences about defensive structure and responsibilities. Marta was specifically brought up within that context. So what were your takeaways uh, from Marta in the minutes that she did actually get in these games? Definitely. So, I mean, first it's Marta plays such a different position for Brazil now than, um, you know, we, we have become accustomed to her playing with her dropping lower. Like Pia said, she was having to defend a lot more. Um, and being required to do that in her position. I think something that's always interesting for Marta, especially as someone who watches her mainly at the club level, is she defends a lot already. And especially when the Pride had some of their seasons where they were really struggling to get the ball out of the midfield, she was defending a lot. And she it's not like she's ever been a player who really like didn't do that or didn't want to do that. But having her in a position where she is deeper, where she is more kind of, making up the bulk of that movement, connecting the defense and the attack on the left side. I think it's a very exciting position to see her in just in terms of the way that her vision is able to link up with some players, especially seeing some of the connection that she was having with Dabinia up at the front. I mean, it, when when players get on the same page as Marta, because sometimes some of the frustration that you see is just that she's like in a completely different genre. Than, she's galaxy braiding yeah. every mo- every single minute. <laughs> and and she'll play a ball and you'll see after the fact what she was doing with it, but her teammates sometimes won't. And again, that was especially a difficulty with the pride when they were having a hard time getting the same lineup on the on the pitch every game. But when you start seeing her play a ball and Dabinia's there, on that same page with her moving. And and there were plenty of other Brazilian attackers who were doing the same thing. 
you really saw that forward motion. And I think for Brazilian fans, for Orlando Pride fans, I think it's exciting just to see that at this point in her career with everything she's done, she can still pick up a new position and move to a different part of the field and still have that, you know, dynamic nature to the way that she moves the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think it is really interesting just in terms of, you know, the the story that I wrote about Dabinia was really about her learning to defend, right, in North Carolina and and understanding that responsibility on both sides of the ball. But, I mean, Paul Riley was even saying the penny dropped for Dabinia that the higher that she won the ball up the field, the less she'd have to run in order to turn it into an attack, right? And she was just like, oh, if I, if I cause the turnover in their third, right? Then I'm in, like I'm done. Right. And so it's really interesting to just see how even their two experiences with the NWSL have kind of impacted the way that they defend because Marta has been forced with the pride to drop into that lower role in order to create, whereas Dabinia has been given a little bit more freedom of field, but Marta has kind of always like out of necessity had to be a lot. It's kind of like when Portland has struggled, sometimes you see Christine Sinclair start to drop Mm -hmm. back. And that's always kind of been the sign of like, oh no, (laughs) that's how I know things aren't going well in the field. When I see, when I see Sink start to like slowly slide back the field, that's a, that's a problem sign. But that's also, I think part of some of the evolution for some of these players as well is that they're turning into different types of midfielders than what we saw them in for kind of like the big peak years of the goal scoring um, for both of them really. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's especially with Marta because she is going to play higher with the pride. Um, She is going to have that midfield behind her and she she can still play that forward position when she's playing for her club. She's still at the level where she can do that. Um, I personally think that it's going to be interesting to see now that she has some help in the midfield, just with some of the players that they've brought in in the offseason. I think it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic works for her when she can stay high but she can challenge in the midfield and she can still you know kind of mix things up you saw her uh in multiple games this week just coming back and picking people's pockets when they didn't think she was coming and she just kind of swings in out of nowhere (laughs) takes the ball swings back out um so I think again there were there were a lot of positive individual performances for NWSL fans to see and I I personally think that Marta's quality um with just where she's at in the preseason that's something to flag and I think a lot of Pride fans were visibly very excited about seeing that. Yeah, I mean, what are your overall impressions of, I mean, I feel like Brazil is always a team since I have been following women's soccer where I'm just like, I would really, truly like you to like put all of the pieces together to get that like major tournament performance. And I I think the expectations have been really high under Pia Suntaga, right? Like this is also the first test of her where, she is not walking into kind of a a program that has this established culture of women's soccer where it's like, Oh, okay. Like I'm not going to have to build stuff off the field as I'm working on the field. Mm -hmm. I personally was looking I was hoping slash predicting Brazil was going to walk out of here with a second place finish. That's exactly what happened. I also thought that they did play well against the U S they had some pretty significant chances. Um, I think they were a little less threatening in the long run than maybe Canada was. But I, I do think that, I mean, Martin Dabinia a couple of times, I'm just like it, a couple of inches one way or the other. And we would be talking about a very different game. Right. Um, are you, are you watching that? She Blues cup performance from them and going, okay, I can see the path that they're on for the Olympics. Definitely. I mean, I think that it's, and obviously I 
I cover at the club level. So I'm not quite as plugged into the international um, landscape as you or some other, uh, you know, nationally focused writers would be. But I think what stuck out to me the most, because I've seen the U.S. play a good amount, especially with Orlando becoming like the capital of U.S. soccer uh, in the last year, I've seen them play a good amount. And I thought that Brazil tested them defensively and not just defensively in terms of like the back line, but defensively in the midfield and in the center of the field, they were able to do more to shut the Americans down than I think um, people kind of expected coming into that game and fans expected. And I think that that's part of Pia's mark on the team is that discipline because Brazil is always going to have these creative players, your Martas, your Dabinas, but having them also have the level of rigorous structure where they know what to do when they lose possession and they're immediately tracking back and handling it. It kept that game so competitive. And, um, you know, there were, there were several instances where, you know, one call by the ref or one, you know, a couple inches away and you've got a tied game, you've got an American loss. Like it was, the margin was very thin. Uh, it's kind of shocking that a two zero American win was what came out of that. Um, it was well-deserved, but The margin was still very, very thin. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I I did see a couple people being like, that felt actually pretty good. And I'm like... Uh, I mean, like, yeah, I get it. But also, I don't I, I thought Crystal Dunn put it really well after that game where she was just like, we're not expecting perfection mm-hmm. from teams, you know, in the top 10, right? Like we are expecting Brazil is going to earn chances against us because they're a very good team. And it's just how do we make sure that we are minimizing those chances as much as possible? And I thought that was a very good like you're not going to you're not going to shut down Marta no. <laughs> 100%. No. You're just not and it feels okay to admit that definitely and also i mean again i i always go back to that spain game at the world cup and just how bad that game felt so brazil wasn't in that that conversation but sometimes it's also i think helpful to be like no teams are going to get chances on them all right let's talk u.s national team i want to start um, I mean, you have been in all of these Zooms with me. Vlako Andonovsky has been laughing a lot, honestly, in these. Like, he, he, he's getting some questions where it's like, I get why you're asking it, but also, like, please, I hope you're not actually expecting a real answer. And the one that, you know, a couple of people have been trying to, to get at him at, is, like, where he's thinking of Olympic roster selection. And, like, I don't want to suggest that Jeff Carlisle knew exactly what he was doing when he was asking this question of like how many open roster spots are there, right? Like sometimes you just want to ask just to see what the reaction is. And Vlaco just straight up laughing and being like 18. Like, first of all, I thought it was a great moment. <laughs> Vlaco's having the best time in these pressers. Let me tell you, I he's living his best life on Zoom. Like he really, he really is um, like you said, just like cracking up a lot and does seem very light and kind of in a positive space but yeah I mean to the 18 comment it's interesting because sometimes you'll see fans they'll look at it when he says something when a coach or a player says something like that and they're like oh they're they're lying and it's like there's a a a big space in between you know having to keep your cards close to your vest and just straight out like 
you know, lying to fans. And I think right now he's in that position where he knows some of the, the players that he's going to take. And there are other bubble positions and it's a very awkward position to be in where the, the, and every time that you think that a player has proven that they're either ready or not ready, the next game just flips that opinion. And it's the, the margin is just so thin. I mean, it's literally razor thin. Right. Right. Yeah. It is like, and I, I don't think that he's lying when he says 18, because I also think that there really is the capability for any player to like play themselves in or out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also kind of the joy of Laco, right? Is that yes, I think that there are always going to be players on this team where they are kind of, you know, as he has said about plenty of them, like known quantities, right? Like you, you know exactly what you're getting with Crystal Dunn or Alex Morgan or any other number of players, right? And again, I mean, I can get into my whole thing about like we're not seeing so much of the data that he's looking at. But I, I do think that, A, first of all, he can't answer that question because if he answers that question honestly – that's going to be just an entire news cycle <laughs> for, I mean, and that news cycle is going to last until now in the roster being named. But, you know, I think that that's also kind of the fun of this team is that we're trying to figure out, like, is there a wrong answer right now? There might be a more right answer. Is there a wrong answer? And is there a perfect answer? And I think the answer to those questions like there, I don't think there is a wrong answer for this team. And I don't think that there is a perfect answer for this team because there are so many options in play. Exactly. Exactly. And I know that I, I think you've made this point. I've seen other reporters make this point that it really depends which positions you're trying to play specific players at, because just the difference between there's so many of these attackers who are versatile. I mean, even leaving out like the fact that Crystal Dunn is playing defensively, but there's so many of these attacking players who you can play them in a variety of different positions, but they bring certain nuances to them. And it's like, okay, who is he bringing at this position? And would he rather bring them at this position? But then that means that you have to exclude this person who's an important leader. And it's, it's balancing all of that. It's like trying to bake the perfect cake with a bunch of ingredients that like, I, it, it's a tough, it's a tough <laughs> this is this is Vlaco in the Bake Off tent. <laughs> seriously, seriously, he with his technical challenge <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really interesting because I thought I think it was John Halloran who was talking about like, okay, well, if you think Macario comes as a nine, mm -hmm. right? Does that open up the spot for Christy Mewis? Like, these are now the levels of conversation that we're having to try to like twist ourselves into knots to try to predict. Okay, is this how? this roster is going to play out that we need Macario to be, you know, kind of that backup slash false nine role depth, right. Get her into an Olympic roster to get big tournament experience. But then does that open up Christine? Like that's the level we're at right now. And it's just kind of like, again, I, I try to like take that step back and be like, is there a wrong answer? And like there, I think there certainly is for individual players who want to make this roster, right. but from an overall team point of view, I think you could if if we all came up with, you know, 10 different versions of an 18 player roster, is there going to be a wrong answer in there? No. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's just a testament to the depth of it. I do think something that was interesting that Blacko said yesterday was talking about how, you know, all the different factors that he's taking into account. Part of it is also going to be obviously form because you have a lot of players coming back from either injuries or pregnancy and then on top of that, it's going to be how they're playing for their club teams. And I think that that's really interesting that, you know, he's he's got to assess, and this is always a national team coach's challenge, 
where players are at physically and then also tactically on the field while they're playing for clubs on multiple different continents and just trying to assess that and figure out (laughs) my cat is currently coming in to join the party (laughs) um, and figuring out, you know, just like how do you compare the difference in competition that players are getting across different leagues, you know, whether that's Sonnet being in Sweden during this last uh, NWSL offseason, how do you how do you kind of look at how she was performing over there versus how she's going to perform here in the NWSL? There's just so many factors to consider there, um, but I really am interested to see how these club seasons kind of impact that because, I mean, Christy Newis is the best example of someone who can turn their club season into, you know, a whole rebirth with the national team. Right. Yeah. I mean, Christy Mewis is really definitely one of those players that I'm looking at where I go, well, I mean, if I'm making this roster, which I'm not, like I would put Christy Mewis on it. But also it like at this point, it is so hard to predict like, OK, how first of all, how the roster is going to break down. Right. Like, I mean, we I do kind of sometimes feel like I'm just talking myself in a, in a circle of like, OK, well, like I personally enjoy Christy Mewis. Right. Like that is not a surprise to anyone. <laughs> but I also do think that she's got something valuable for this team and could maybe help them win an Olympics. Do I then think that also she carries through to the 23 World Cup? Right. Maybe, right? Like, and that's another factor too of if you are adding in pieces beyond some of the veterans, right? Like, I I feel fairly confident now that Megan Rapinoe has played her way back into the fold for the 18 based on that performance, right? But like, Mm -hmm. how do you put in certain pieces around those veterans right to balance the like i feel like we're basically just going to have some version of this conversation over and over and over again until we actually get a roster but that's also you know i i think a good burden to have with this national team definitely definitely it's it's a luxury in a lot of ways i think any coach would be happy to be in a situation where this decision is this hard because you have to leave so much talent at home all right, so I wanted to ask you one more thing about the national team before we swap over to some quick NWSL talk. But as the Orlando Pride beat reporter extraordinaire, Alex Morgan coming back and getting that first goal uh, as a mom, she was obviously very happy. Also, I think a little bit relieved to to finally get that underway. But I mean, I watched that goal a couple of times and it just felt like such classic Alex Morgan, where I was just like, that's an Alex Morgan. Like, there it is. Um, so what were your thoughts on her real final, like return back into the world of the national team? Well, I think relief is definitely the right word there just in terms of, um, because Alex looked to me at least like her runs, her hold up play, even just her ability to take the ridiculous hits that she takes every single game they were all there um she was back to the point where you know she was getting decked and just springing right back up which is textbook alex morgan um so all all of those parts of her game were back but she was kind of in that frustrating situation that strikers get into where they just can't get that first one and so i think that for her just being able to get that first goal opened up was a huge relief because the runs were there. The timing was there. Um, her fitness looks almost right back there. There's still a little bit of visible, um, you know, uh, not even physically in terms of not being able to keep up the running, but just, you know, kind of the brain connecting to 
okay, this is where I want to go and I'm going to time this correctly. Just that last yeah. little connection. Yeah, that time it. Yeah, yeah. Which I think she talked about a bit when she was with Spurs, right? Of mm-hmm. just like, I've got to get kind of the game sense. Exactly, back. exactly. So, and I, I do think that when you look at her on the club level, obviously Alex Morgan was the most happy person to score that goal. But I think a close number two is pride coach Mark Skinner because he doesn't have to be the one to get her that first goal. She's got it. She talked about how she's excited to just come in and get like an actual consistent couple of months of training under her belt. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to go into the Challenge Cup, um, whether she's having to join early or late, depending on what that international schedule looks like. But she's going to come into the Challenge Cup with that hurdle already jumped. And we see that with strikers a lot where they hit their first and then just kind of the floodgates open. Even if it's slow, they're, they don't have that kind of almost yips feeling in the back of their head that like, Oh, I haven't, I haven't scored yet. I keep missing. Um, so that was, that was big. And having that happen by the end of the tournament, I think, you know, Alex and Blackco didn't really say this, but I think in the back of both their minds, they had to be thinking it'd be really nice if we could get her a goal by the end of this, just to get that last mentality bit back because the rest of her game looked, it's like, it's almost there. It's very, very close. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of timing right like february ahead of the olympics that's it doesn't feel like a bad place for alex morgan to be ahead of a major tournament the fact that she is already kind of at that 95 96 percent right so you do have time to get her fully back at 100 but I, i think your point about her ability to take the physicality of a game is dead on i mean that was that was basically her entire role in the 2019 olympics was just oh do you need someone to be kicked that's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I think that that's one of those parts of her game that can be um, very underrated, but especially when the match that we got to see her playing with Kristen and Lynn, I believe, up top, I think that sometimes it can be underrated how quick of a player Alex Morgan can be. And the fact that she was able to keep up with Kristen and with Lynn and with some of these other really quick, not just fast, but, you know, they, they have that... Um, ability to just move so suddenly in the box. I think that seeing her move alongside them, that was when it really clicked for me that yeah. like she's she's hit that point. Um, right. Definitely. Yeah. A good sign. I mean, that was definitely like a, a front three, right? Of Alex Morgan, Kristen Preslin Williams. Of we are going to stretch Brazil, and these are the exact best three players we have to do it, and it worked. Yeah. Like it. That was pretty much exactly to plan as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, I, I think you're, you're very much dead on there. All right. Well, since we we've got Alex Morgan and, and some other players that we're talking about NWSL allocation list dropped today again for listeners, allocation status is different than allocation money. I pray that we come up with better terms for these things, but what allocation status is, is the U S uh, Soccer Federation and Canada Soccer named the players that are actually subsidized by the federations for their NWSL teams. I was hoping to get your thoughts on if there was anything that stuck out to you from a pride point of view for, for this list. Yeah, definitely. I mean, having, uh, I think Alex Morgan being on that list was not a huge surprise for anyone, but, um, you know, with Ali Krieger and Ashlyn Harris not getting some of the call ups recently and just, you know, with them bring a child into their lives, having a big lifestyle change, I think for them. And then also just for the makeup of the pride, it was, it was very uh, bolstering to see them maintaining their places on that list. But the big one for the pride uh, 
wasn't on the U.S. side. It was Aaron McLeod getting back into that mix, getting called back up into camps in the last year for the first time in, you know, five years now that she's really been in the mix for Canada. And that's huge. Um, I know that when she came here to Orlando, she talked about wanting to train with the best and really get her edge back and feeling like she's really got a freshness about her after a couple of really challenging injuries and playing out of the league some. So I'm really interested to see how that pays off and also how that plays out having two Federation players playing goalkeeper for the same team. You know, a a lot, that means that some things could be riding now on your third string keeper who uh, Brittany Wilson is, um, you know, very hardworking keeper. We saw her play one game in the fall series last year, but she was a, a you know, a, a non-rostered invitee to preseason last year. And that could mean that we see her having to step up in a big way that wouldn't necessarily be expected when you look at this roster, you know, like a, a year ago. Right, right. All right. So since we're talking about pride stuff, um, I have been on a couple of the, the preseason Zooms since every team is trying to do one of these once a week. I thought Allie Riley uh, was just perfect Allie Riley on hers. But what what is your sense? I know that, you know, as we've kind of discussed, media access is not exactly what we're used to. So what is your initial sense of where the pride are at when it comes to preseason? So um, I first, it's just tough not being able to be out there. Um, obviously, understandable, but still tough. Um, but I, I actually spoke to uh, pride vice president Amanda Duffy earlier today. And she talked about how there's kind of this new energy with this team. And Mark Skinner has talked about this. A lot of the players have talked about this. Um, And Duffy described last year as being, for a lot of players, like one of the, if not the hardest thing they've ever gone through, just in terms of everyone knows the turmoil that the team went through with the Challenge Cup withdrawal, um, you know, with having false positive COVID tests. Uh, Just a very difficult year for a lot of them. And you had players like, you know, Taylor Korniak, who was very excited for her rookie year, who ended up spending it in Germany away from her family, uh, very isolated for an entire season, basically. So there's a very different vibe to this team. It's very fresh faces. I think fans who maybe unplugged last season when things went awry, they're going to look at this roster and maybe feel a little bit lost because there's a lot of new players. I don't think that's a bad thing, though. I think that it's good that a coach can come in and figure out the types of players that he likes and kind of mold that around it. Um, And so I think at this point, it's just kind of figuring out how to get that cohesively working, especially with some players kind of in and out right now, you had, you know, um, different call-ups and stuff like that. Uh, Once they're able to get everyone in and now that Ali and Ashton are back from maternity leave, I think that they're really going to start being able to hone that identity kind of from here on out. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we are in the middle of the longest NWSL preseason ever. So even with the fact that there are international call-ups and we know that players are are probably going to miss the start of the Challenge Cup, there is still so much time ahead of us. So much, really so, so much. Orlando has a lot, a lot of time to work with. I, I do feel pretty confident that they will <laughs> take advantage of it. All right, Julia, if you could tell folks where to find you and your work so that way they can follow along with everything happening in Orlando since again you are now the home of the national team. <laughs> I know seriously we have we have a senator down here trying to uh, bring the Olympics here too. So God only knows what'll happen. Um but I write for the Orlando Sentinel. You can find us at orlandosentinel.com and then I'm also on Twitter at by Julia Poe. Um I talk about 
Pride and also Orlando City and uh, WandaVision on there. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, we are we are a WandaVision friendly <laughs> podcast that we are recording this before the new episode. So this will be completely spoiler free. But um, at this point, like also, if, you know, if we could get the rights, we would just change the, the theme song directly over to Agatha all, all along. Like, God bless the, the music folks from Frozen 2 and Frozen who Seriously. are doing this music because it's amazing. Anyway, all right. We will we will hold maybe we'll just do like a big WandaVision extravaganza when the season is over. You, Steph, everyone at like just we'll just toss everyone in a party zoom and go to town. Um and it'll be the end of cell WandaVision uh discussion to end all discussions. So all right, Julia, thank you for your time and thank you for uh coming back on the pod. Thank you so much. And of course, thank you again to Julia for stopping by and for coming back on the podcast and for uh, we both had some dog fun <laughs> trying to record this one. So the joys of 2020, you know, and, and continuing in 2021. All right. One more thing for you, of course. Now, this is already fully funded, but the Black Women's Player Collective is fundraising and there is still time to donate and give them the ability to do even more right? There is a link to where you can donate in the show notes. I highly encourage it. I cannot wait to see what they've got in the works for this year. Um, As always, the home for the show is at fulltimepod.com. Of course, we've got that trailer for 2021 that you can share wherever you would like. Links to Apple, Spotify, Google. You can listen to the show on The Athletic without ads. All of that good stuff, everything you need to know is at fulltimepod.com. As always, make sure that you are subscribed to the show so you don't miss an episode, especially if we mix up our schedule a little bit. You know, in theory, I should know the schedule for my own show. I do try to communicate it out to you guys. Um, But if you'd like to share the show with a friend or two, if you would like to leave a rating and a review, I appreciate them all. I read every single one of them. Um, Your engagement, your retweets, your Instagram stories. I know I say this every week, but everything that you do to support this podcast and its growth only helps women's soccer, and I appreciate all of the extra effort. All right, as always, if you want more women's soccer content plus everything else The Athletic has to offer, it's just $3.99 a month, and you can start that new subscription at theathletic.com slash full-time. As always, you can find me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. I still, as of this recording, do not know when the NWSL schedule is coming out. I promise. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman. I also want to give him a special special shout out this week with uh, a nice bump up in his title. We appreciate all of his hard work and patience working on this show. He is great. Also, we, before recording any session, just sit here and talk about WandaVision. I'm sure you're shocked by that development, but it is a true pleasure to work with him. And he deserves a little extra shout this week. But from The Athletic, I am Meglin Han. Thank you for listening.